THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 552 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt Baum. I didn't think we were going to bother coming back after that. I know. After 550? After that hiatus. Oh yeah, we did take a little hiatus. (laughs) We're back! (laughs) And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick in this week's Too Early to Be a Christmas episode. We're catching up on two damn weeks of new comics and a giant-sized ludicrous speed round. And after that, it is up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're wrapping about our must-read picks for next week. And finally, Star Wars had its first small-screen premiere. So it's time for Nerd TV, the Mandalorian edition, but... Before we start talking through our masks and blasting jawas, we better talk about this week's nerd news. Nerd news. I have spoken. <laughs> I really like that guy. I do too. <laughs> Legion TV creator Noah Hawley is in talks to write and direct a fourth film in the current J.J. Abrams launched Star Trek film universe. According to Deadline, that is a sentence and a half. No details of the potential fourth film were reported, but it is expected to star Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, and the rest of the film's oh, no principal shit. cast. They're going to bring them back, huh? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> the last film in the series, uh, Star Trek Beyond, was directed by Justin Lin. Right. And they were going to, they were in talks to make a see another one. Right. Uh, but things fell through. Yeah, things was, fell through. They couldn't uh, reach a deal with Chris Hemsworth and there was or whatever. Like scheduling shit made. No, it was mostly about, they couldn't, like, it, the plot was going to be about, uh, like, a time travel thing. Yeah, it was going to be. Where they met. Chris Hemsworth that, right. as George Kirk. I would kill to see that. Yeah, me too. Uh, there is also a separate spinoff film to be owned by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, it is also in development. What the hell? See, now, and we heard about this years ago, and I feel like we also heard about a Quentin Tarantino Friday the 13th reboot years ago. Well, I don't that remember never that. never happened, so. Eh, you know, he's mer- I'm mercurial. Yeah, to say the least. He's also a foot freak. Yeah, well, Ugh, you know. Gross. Uh, but yay, hooray. Yeah, no, I mean, about damn time, guys. I know, it's been too long. They're having a Star Trek renaissance on TV. Another movie probably will be just fine. I, and Noah yes. Hawley, he's only done Legion, right? No movies? Uh, well, here's the thing about Noah Hawley. He's great at TV. He d- did Fargo. Like, people love his yeah. shows. Yeah. Uh, he put out a film this year, I think it was this year, called Lucy in the Sky. It starred Natalie Portman and John Hamm, and it was a... Tremendous failure. Mm, I, did, I didn't even hear about it. Uh, it only made like three hundred and fifty grand at the box office. Well, I'm gonna uh, say it was very limited release. Uh, yeah, so he's not a proven film guy. Well, so they're trusting him with this blockbuster franchise. Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably gonna be okay. He he's seems a like, great storyteller. Yeah, he's a great storyteller. I mean, and Star Trek. Come on, man, you got this cast that's already set up the fact that we all love them. Right. Put him in a good story. We'll be fine. Yep. I'm not worried at all. No, I'm glad they're making another one. Joe Patrick. Good news. Oh, boy. From the Henry Cavill desk. Henry Cavill can't quit Superman from the Snyderverse. Oh, you had from the Snyderverse desk. I'm it's not all even, right. I'm not even giving those dicks that. All right. Henry Cavill has threatened that he isn't done playing Superman. The actor has spoken out in an interview with Men's Health Magazine, because that's where you do it, saying he has unfinished business with the Man of Steel role, despite saying that Justice League... Didn't work. Fair enough. It didn't. Quote, I'm not just going to sit here quietly in the dark. As all this stuff is going on, I've not given up the role. There's a lot I have to give for Superman yet. A lot of storytelling to do. A lot of real true depths to the honesty of the character I want to get into. I want to reflect the comic books. That's important to me. There's a, a lot of justice to be done. For Superman. Is that a Henry Cavill impression? That's Cavill getting serious about Superman. You know, he yeah. is British. Yeah. Oh, is he? In real life. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> in September 2018, Hollywood Reporter cited an unnamed source working at Warner Brothers who said that Cavill would not be reprising his role as Superman. I like to think we reported it here first. Yeah, sure. Whatever. We steal all our news from other sources. So, okay. I did not have a problem with the way that Henry Cavill looked. Uh, I, thought he was f- I thought he was fine. 
I thought he did fine with what he was given. Yeah, like uh, the way he spoke, the way he looked, that was all fine. The like, costume's terrible. There but was nothing yes. about him that I said, that, like looking at him or the way he acted, that is not Superman. The problem that we had was with the story that we were presented. The with. tone, the story. I didn't the like treatment the costume. Of the, character. the costume was uh, the costume weird was looking. ugly. Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't get it. But as 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 Superman, I didn't really have a problem with him. I also don't think you need to recast Superman to fix this. You don't. You may not have even had to recast Batman to fix that, but Ben decided he didn't want to do it anymore, so you're recasting him whether you like it or not. Well, and it's going to be a rebooted Batman. Right. Because he's he's not going to be the same character as Ben Affleck Batman. You don't do another rebooted Superman, though, right? There are a lot of... With the same actor? There are a lot... No, right, I understand, but there are a lot of problems with the origin of this version of Superman. I totally agree, but I don't think you could do... You either have to just bite the bullet and continue what you're doing, which neither of us want to see, or you do the weirdest Hollywood move ever and relaunch Superman with the same goddamn actor. That (laughs) That would not only blow the public's head off, who doesn't understand this shit anyway, that would blow our heads off. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, in 2017... The L.A. Times reported that he was contracted to play Superman at least one more time after he, Justice League. He had contracted Superman. He'd, he had, yeah. yeah, he had terminally. <laughs> he sat on the wrong. Terminal Superman. He sat on the wrong toilet seat. You contract <laughs> Superman. Uh, sexually transmitted Superman. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Title of the show. There we go. Ba-doom-ba! We got it. Uh, but I think that Cavill is either just like towing the company line or he's being a little too hopeful because I don't think they have any plans to make another Superman movie. With I him. don't think so either. I think this is him like saying something to either try and get the job or stir up interest or to prove that he's still Superman. Maybe real quick while we're talking about Superman, that's really all I have to say about this. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but while we're on the subject of, uh, media adaptations of Superman, uh, crisis on infinite earths, they keep releasing teasers for the crossover, the CW right. crossover. I know, I know. You're all, your heart's all afloat. <laughs> so Brandon Routh is coming back as Superman. Right. Uh, but he's dressed like Kingdom Come Superman. Uh, and so what they have revealed is that the Richard Donner Superman is the Kingdom Come oh Superman. Oh, God. <laughs> because there's a, there's a, there's a promo shot of, of Ralph as Clark Kent in the Daily Planet office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the wall, okay. on the wall is a framed uh, front page from, from Kingdom Come about the Joker attack on the Daily Planet, oh, complete boy. with Alex Ross art. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> All right. And, and, and they released a picture of Kevin Conroy legendary voice actor from Batman the Anim- right. animated series Kevin Conroy who is playing Bruce Wayne and he is wearing the Kingdom Come Batman cool. exoskeleton that keeps his body together this is, this is ridiculous I am I like I can't wait <laughs> I'm so excited I'm gonna watch it too oh jeez oh, oh boy finally from the Hall of Justice desk Hawkman and Freedom Fighters writer Robert Venditti will take over Justice League from series writer Scott Snyder, who plans to depart the book with January's issue 39. Venditti will be joined by artists Doug Mankey and Aaron Lepresti. That's awesome. uh, Because it will continue to be bi-weekly. Right. Uh, With inkers Jamie Mendoza and Matt Ryan, Brian Hitch will be doing covers. They've already released the first two, and they are great. (laughs) Venditti announced the news on Twitter shortly after DC's February solicits hit the net. Here is the solicit for Venditti and Mankey's first issue. The next chapter for comics premiere superhero team begins. An unexpected arrival from the stars brings a dire warning to the Justice League. A new breed of conquerors is on the march, led by Superman's nemesis Eradicator. A genetically engineered (laughs) superpowered strike team has come to subjugate Earth. To aid the Justice League, Batman makes unprecedented decision of enlisting an ancient, unrivaled power, which calls into question who exactly is in charge. With the League on unsure footing, will they be ready to save the world? An ancient, un... Unrivaled. Unrivaled power. Ancient, unrivaled power. What the crap is that? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, There is a character fighting with the Justice League on one of the covers that I did not recognize, so probably that person. 
Hopefully it's the guy with the god anvil and all that shit. Man. Yeah, the I world can't get Forger. enough of that. I hope Vendetti. I, okay, first of all, we loved Vendetti and Hawkman. Yes, Wonderful. and that Freedom Fighters book it's turned out to be phenomenal. A treat. It's so great. It's really good. I am so happy that they are giving him a high profile job like this. Yeah, and I think somebody like him can maybe bring Justice League back down to earth just a little bit. Yeah, so to speak, because Snyder's Justice League. I totally agree. While it is. It's big and it's flashy. It's too much. It feels like it feels like it should be everything that we love and we want. It's you know like it, like he's trying to be like you liked Graham Morrison's Justice League. Yeah, wait till right. you read my Justice right. League. That's my problem with it. He keeps trying to one up himself. Yeah, and it's just and too he's much. trying to out Morrison Grant Morrison, yeah. and it's not working for You're me. You're knocking out Morrison Grant Morrison. And I know that Justice You're League like is turn yourself into a tetragrammaton <laughs> and vanish into like the infinity <laughs> of right. geometry. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I know Justice League is supposed to be the big flashy high stakes widescreen action right. book. I get it. But I think Venditti is going to be able to bring a more traditional. Yeah. Not even traditional. Superhero action. Humanized. Sense because it. we've gotten so far away. Like, I get it. Yeah, they're gods amongst us. Sure. But we've gotten so far away from anything that, like, you can even relate to yeah. with these characters. Like, I read each new issue of the Justice League and I'm like, what the fuck it's is totally, going on? No, like, every episode is realities clanging into realities. You thought the multi- realities. <laughs> Superman has 50 arms because he needs to, you're like yeah, what right. is going on you think you thought the multiverse was bad how about the dark multiverse and now the omniverse it's like, <laughs> yeah. stop it stop, stop it verse you say verse again I know <laughs> also doom is not a tangible construct so stop referring to it that way god damn it uh, but yeah I'm excited for this I like this team a lot yeah That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while retooling our sworn statements in the Mayor Fisk impeachment trials to keep our beautiful butts out of the raft. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune into our cover to cover live every Saturday where we broadcast on Facebook from 11 to noon Central Standard Time. It's more fun than listening to your evil overseer scream at you through a cell phone so loud that people at the table can hear them. This week, we are talking about... What are we talking about? We're talking about the news we just talked about. No, no, no. The question of the week. Oh, the question of the week is... uh Classic comic book ads. This week, we are talking about your favorite classic comic book ads. Man, there are some wackadoodle ones out there. Do your research if you'd like and find one. So you can call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, leave us a message. You can do it anytime. Or you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. It is your show. We want to hear from you nerds. And seriously, no rules. Go crazy. Take it away. Crazy go nuts. Show us your nuts. Don't do that. Before we get into this week's ludicrous speed round, we need to introduce cocktail of the week, and it is butte. This week we are sitting sipping on a take on the classic whiskey sour. We are calling this one Yoda's Dirty Little Secret. Spoilers. Okay. So in a cocktail shaker with ice, add an egg white, not an egg yolk. Separate the yolk from the white. The easiest way to do that is with your fingers. Crack. Pour it right in your fingers. The white will go through. The yolk stays there. Save those yolks. They're delicious. I've got mine salted and preserving them so you can grate them over pasta. Ooh, muy delicioso. Shake, 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 shake with ice. This is called a dry shake. It's going to whip up your foam, right? Then you're going to add two ounces of bourbon, one ounce of fresh lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. We're using a raspberry mint simple syrup to stick with our green theme. Two dashes of bitters and... It's not Yoda's Dirty Little Secret unless you add one drop of green food coloring, okay? Shake again. Real hard. Pour into a rocks glass. Serve with an Empire Strikes Back. Yoda, nude. Don't add the robe. You will regret it. Okay? (laughs) Definitely take down the value of that. (laughs) Excelsior. Yes, Excelsior. That is a lovely little whiskey sound we got there. Wow. And now, with drink in hand, 
Join us as we review eight more of this week and last week's comics during an extra giant sized man thing ludicrous speed round. Go! McClunky. The Dollhouse Family, number one from DC Hill House. Black Label, don't call it an imprint. The latest Hill House title features some really smart gothic horror storytelling from Lucifer and the unwritten creators Mike Carey and Peter Gross. There's a lot of elements at play here. Ancient celestial beings crashing to Earth, a troubled family, a living dollhouse, and of course, a 19th century land surveyor trapped in a cave with a sleeping giant and a succubus. Yeah, sure. Dollhouse family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't get to know how it's all tied together yet, but these creators excel at intricate storytelling, and I trust them to get us there. The Dollhouse number... Oh, no. The Dollhouse family number one is creepy and beautiful, and it gets a buy it. All right, then. Fallen Angels number one from Marvel. It had to happen sooner or later. The X relaunch comes to a close with this hyper-serious story starring Quanin, the assassin female... Pardon me. The Asian female assassin that Betsy Braddock's psyche took over for way too long. Now... Free Quanon wants to be called Psylocke. I think and it's she's, pronounced Quanon. Eh, whatever. She wants to be called Psylocke. And she's having visions of kids with super cyber tech that causes them to be living bombs, essentially, because Asian ninja magic or yeah, you know, something. These things happen. X23 and Kid Cable show up, and they're just as hard and snarky as Don't Call Me Quanon Psylocke with dialogue that's also just as bad. Maybe it's just me, but it seems like. There is more than enough going on in the X-World that needs to be answered. This feels like a spin-off for the sake of spinning off, featuring mean muggin' X-peeps killing people with claws and cyanives. The art by Kurdransky was really pretty and tight. Oh, I hate it. Oh, really? I hate it. See, I, I think it was I the really that made it look really weird. I really dislike his art. But the script was bad. This was Brian Hill? Yes. Brian, uh, yeah, right? I think so. This was Brian Hill trying to do David Max Kabuki with the X people, and it didn't work. I'm giving it a leave it. I didn't like it. It was, it was bad, Pretty man. terrible. Far Sector, number one from DC, Young Animal. Joe Mullen is a different kind of green lantern assigned to the city enduring, located in the farthest part of the universe. She was given one year to make her mark as a green lantern, and now she has to solve the first murder the city has seen in over five centuries. Magnificent world building by novelist and first time comic writer, I'm assuming that, N.K. Jemison. I don't remember seeing their name anywhere before. Unbelievably beautiful art by future superstar Jamal Campbell. That guy, he's going to be able to write his own ticket someday. Yeah, man. Far Sector number one was a really strong first issue, and I'm definitely hooked. I'm giving it a buy it. Cool. All right, X-Men number two from Marvel. At first read, I thought to myself, well, there he goes. It only took one issue of X-Men for Jonathan to go full Hickman and leave me thinking, okay, what did I miss? To be fair, I was on a plane, and it's a little tipsy. But mm. after my second read, same result. What did I miss? Almost out of nowhere, Hickman reintros Araco, the other island. Now, to be fair, the idea was introduced very briefly in the Hawks and Pox miniseries, but it was lost in the sea of what the hell is going on? After we meet the new island, Krakoa starts hauling ass towards Araco, and there's kids there that summon monsters. Kid Cable kind of causes a major problem by acting like an idiot, really and dead. then we learn this is all sort of kind of tied to Apocalypse. But that idea was definitely introduced here. This wasn't full-on Hickman madness, but it was weird, and it felt like I missed something. As I recall, something pretty huge happened in the end of X-Force number one that the Summers family should probably deal with first, given this is Skimmit. Uh, yeah, they did, uh, they did address it in... The other titles that came out following that, but, but yeah, I didn't get a mention here. The question, the deaths of Vic Sage, number one from DC Black Label. Vic Sage is back, fighting crime and exposing corruption in the grimy hub city. But when he stumbles into a century-old occult mystery that he is somehow tied to, his mind starts to unravel. Jeff Lemire's script doesn't pull any punches, and the art by the legendary Denny Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz is jaw-dropping. This is a really great, gritty detective story from an amazing creative team. The question number one gets a buy it. Event Leviathan number six from DC. BM Bendis' six-part epic that will change the DCU forever comes to an end, and while things aren't changed yet, I guess they start changing in this week's issue of Superman, we finally learn the identity of Leviathan, and it was 
a little underwhelming, especially after we spent five issues building to the reveal. But I did like the story. Yes, Joe is absolutely right. Bendis is guilty of making a lot of his characters sound exactly the same. That was definitely happening here. But I love how he handles Lois and how he's made her one of the most powerful characters in DCU. I get that this is an ongoing event that will have repercussions across the entirety of the DCU, but this final issue kind of felt like it fizzled. Still, Event Leviathan... It wasn't a final issue. It ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah, I mean, really, Event... Well, not a cliffhanger, but, like, the... The, the only thing... It wasn't even a cliffhanger. They learned his identity, but he's, like, it's still an ongoing thing. I know, and he's like, oh, man, I'm pissed. Now they know who I am, and they foiled everything. And this other guy goes, well, we should just, you know, do plan B. And he goes, yeah, okay. The end. Event <laughs> <laughs> you know? Leviathan was a fun ride, and I I'd like read it. pages of Robin making fun of Green Arrow and his best Bendis dialogue any day. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. 2099 Alpha number one from Marvel. I'm sorry, but Alpha number one is really dumb. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I know. It's really a it, one shot. It can be shot. Alpha. It can be one. It doesn't need to be both. Yeah, it's, it's really stupid. a one shot. Doctor Doom has hit the reset button on the future of 2099, and things are looking pretty bleak. Writer Nick Spencer sets up a lot of interesting ideas and fun new takes on familiar concepts, but this issue is just that. Pure setup for the batch of one shots that contain the actual story. The issue is beautifully illustrated by Victor Bogdanovich, who makes his Marvel debut here. This is his first Marvel comic. Oh, really? His, his debut. His debut. Right. 2099 Alpha is a fun start for this rebooted timeline, but it isn't exactly a satisfying story in itself, so I'm giving it a very strong skimmit. Gotcha. Rye, number one, from Valiant. I cannot stand hip, cool internet articles that start with the headline, we need to talk about. But with that said, we need to talk about the art of Juan Jose Rip. The dude has become nothing short of amazing. It was gorgeous. With a style that reminds me of the legendary Jeff Darrow, Rip packs his panels with detail and violence that could end up cluttered if he were any less talented. The story spins out of the pages of the Fallen World miniseries. Rye is wandering the earth with his older little brother brother, Rai Jin, and then let me tell you, Future Earth is a real pile of garbage. <laughs> this is not a jumping on point, but if you read the previous mini, like I did, you will love the further adventures of future cyborg Rai and little Rai Jin. Buy it! Counterpoint, I did not, and while I it did take me a little bit to get up to speed, I thought Dan Abnett did a pretty good job. The story is there. It's like, pretty told, obvious. It was a clear story. The art was amazing. Like, just yeah. the way that Rai was like, Vibrating through everybody. <laughs> They're like, what? like, he's not doing anything. Like, oh no, no, no. You see, he's moving too fast. You can't see him killing everybody. <laughs> like, I remember when when Juan Jose Rip was new and he was first hit the scene doing Avatar stuff, and yeah. like all of his art looked wet and gross. And I don't know if it was the inks or what, but like he has. Well, he was making wet, gross comics. Transcended though. I think those he's comics so were good. wet and gross. Yeah, they were wet and gross. <laughs> Deadpool number one from Marvel. Writer Kelly Thompson relaunches the Merc with a mouth in yet another new series, though through a ridiculous series of events, Wade has been crowned King of the Monsters, who just so happened <laughs> who just so happened to have emigrated to Staten Island due to a property dispute. <laughs> Elsa Bloodstone is along for the Staten ride. Staten Island is actually a really good place for the monsters. Yeah, though, yeah. Right? It's, it's rough, you know? Yeah. Uh, Elsa Bloodstone is along for the ride, and her banter with Deadpool is delightful. Chris Bacalo's art isn't at its best here, which is no surprise considering it took six inkers to get the job done. Good lord. His panels are a little too crowded and zoomed in at times, and when you add in the particularly wordy script, it makes for some un makes for some occasionally jumbled and unclear panels. But even a slightly off his game Chris Bacalo is pretty damn good, and his monster designs are a lot of fun. This is a fun new status quo for Deadpool. I really enjoy this creative team. I'm giving it a buy it. Heartbeat number one from Boom. This is the tale of a young bullied girl at what looks to be a high-end private school for rich kids. The dialogue gets pretty precious, and there's some narration boxes that start on one page and continue a full page and a half later. And it was a little confusing for me. With, with I had to go other back. dialogue in right. between. And I had to go back yeah, and be yeah. like, okay, wait a minute. What was the beginning I did of that too. <laughs> it's like, oh, she's finishing her thought from two pages ago. There is no denying that Maria Lovett's amazing art style is 
outstanding. She has a very detailed, thin manga style with excellent POV that pulls you through the story. Heartbeat is told from the perspective of a very intelligent and depressed young woman, so get ready for some gothy poetry. But it works well with the <laughs> art, and there is a great mystery in the end that really pulled me in the main character's story and situation. I'm giving it a bite. Had almost kind of like an Art Nouveau kind of very much thing so. going for it. Olympia, number one from Image. Olympia is the passion project of writer Kurt Pyers based on an idea that he developed with his late father, Tony. So I'm, I apologize for this, Kurt. <laughs> Elon is a nerdy outsider who discovers that the Thor-esque hero he reads about in comics is actually real when he suddenly falls from the sky. This comic wears its influences on its sleeve, but it doesn't say anything new about them. It's so full of comic book tropes. He's bullied. He's from a broken family. Man. He's got a dead parent. All right, all right. It feels like I've read this story a dozen times before. Even the hook, where it's like comic book characters in real life. We've seen it. Sure. Pyers barely takes any time to flesh out his characters beyond their basic qualities. Alex Diotto's art style is interesting, but his execution is lacking. The character designs are pretty generic, and scenes devolve into a mass of messy squiggles. I really wanted to like Olympia more than I did, but unfortunately, I'm giving it a leave it. Mm, wow. <laughs> okay, then. Sorry, Tony. He-Man and the Masters of the Multiverse, number one from DC. A group of multiversal He-Mans, including Dolph Lundgren, a kid's comic version, I, I think presume? it's from the uh, mobile game. Oh, yeah. okay. And Skeletor, before he was Skeletor, team up to fight the anti-He-Man who is jumping to different realities and killing other He-Mans. Tim Seeley proves he can still write comics I don't care to read at all, and Dan Fraga brings his School of Extreme Studios 90s pencils to the book. Where's that guy been? With coloring that makes everything look like it's made of candy. It just cannot be this difficult to write a good Masters of the Universe comic. It can't. <laughs> that is not to say Masters of the Multiverse was a failure. It just wasn't fun to read. And it feels like a rehashed Snyder Dark Batman plot smashed on He-Man, but with a little more lighthearted fun. Giving it, you know what? Leave it. I was gonna give it a skim it. I'm giving it a leave. Yeah, it. You don't know. need it. It wasn't very good. Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number five from DC. I've been reading comics for a long time, and I've seen it all. So it takes a lot to really elicit a strong reaction from me. I laughed so hard at this issue of Jimmy Olsen, like full-on snorting, genuine belly laughs. When I went back over it a second time to write this review, I laughed again. Nearly every page is its own perfectly formed gag. Matt Fraction, Steve Lieber, and even the letterer Clayton Cowles have so much fun at Batman's expense. <laughs> Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen is a masterfully created comic book series that somehow gets better with each new issue. Huge buy it. No kidding. Spoilers for the end of the year. This is my book of the year. Okay. There you go. Annihilation Scourge Alpha number one from Marvel. More of this Alpha number one crap. The Blastar, Annihilus team-up book you never knew you wanted is here, and it's full of as much guts and lasers as you would expect. Juan and Ramirez draws the hell out of this big cosmic fight issue and channels the action you loved from the previous Annihilation series, only this time the bad guys are being hunted. Blastar and Annihilus have to team up to fight a new foe that looks to conquer not just a negative zone, but the entire universe! I can only guess this will be spilling into the pages of Guardians of the Galaxy soon, but it looks like it's going to be a big, cosmic, gory, fun in true Mighty Marvel manner. Buy it. It's another mini-event, like the 2099 thing, where it's just a bunch of one-shots yeah, and then an Omega. I have a feeling that something, I don't know, we'll see. But I have a feeling something. Well, it will lead, it will probably lead into the new Guardians of the Galaxy series, quite possibly. which is relaunching. Yeah, quite possibly. Family tree. Family tree, number one from Image. It's the plant-based apocalypse. Loretta is a struggling single mother whose daughter just happens to be turning into a tree, like you do. Yeah. When they're attacked by a mysterious group of fanatics, Loretta has to do whatever it takes to keep her family safe, even if it means trusting her possibly insane shotgun-toting father. Whoa. <laughs> Jeff Lemire's script is haunting and intense. Phil Hester is a great writer, but it's always a joy to see his art. Eric Gapster's strong inks and Ryan Cody's sparse green and brown color palette really make Phil's art pop. I don't know where Family Tree is headed, but it's off to an awesome start. I'm giving it a buy it. 
Hazel and Cha-Cha save Christmas one-shot alpha from Dark Horse. It's not an alpha. Don't do that. Umbrella Academy writer Gerard Way tells the story of that one time that your two favorite time accountants, Hazel and Cha-Cha, helped keep Santa's real secret safe and saved Christmas to boot. Vandroid artist Tommy Lee Edwards just keeps getting better, and his slightly off-kilter photorealistic art is perfect for the bizarre world of these time-traveling furries. There's even a sweet message for kitties and everywhere. I love these two characters. I hope they have more of a future in the Umbrella Academy verse. I'm giving this a buy it. The art was breathtaking. It the was. story was nonsensical. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> it was just like a bunch of conspiracy bullshit and Santa. Yeah. <laughs> That is your ludicrous speed round, and Kersmacko is the sound of Batman slapping Jimmy's camera out of his hand as seen in the pages of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number five. Now, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Joe Patrick, because that comic is a gift that keeps on friggin' giving. It's so true. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week or suggest a cocktail recipe, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send it an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You can also watch the Ludicrous Speed Round live on Facebook on Wednesday from now on, and then later on our YouTube channel... These are usually up before the show to help you, the discerning comic nerd, make an educated new comic book day buying decision. And if you watch the video, you can see my dog assaulting me the entire time I'm trying to record <laughs> Bobo, this. it was all over the place Good today. Good lord. And hey, do you want to help stop the ziggurat bar? Click our Donate Now button and buy us a bottle of booze. Or hey, just buy us a drink, why don't you? We'll even mention you in the Cocktail of the Week segment. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, we're fasting in preparation for our Thanksgiving festivities with a little help from our meditation coach, the Psycho Man. I don't think this is technically meditation. He's just sort of turning the dial on his emotion controlling device. That's what it's called, by the way, to not hungry and then shooting us with it every time we complain. Speaking of which, my tummy is a by the way. <laughs> Instead of thinking about food, let's distract ourselves with our must-read picks for next week. What do you say? Uh, I guess my pick for next week is John Constantine Hellblazer number one from DC. It's written by Cy Spurrier with art by Aaron Campbell. It is 32 pages. It will cost you $3.99. Here is your solicit. John Constantine is back in London. Oh, no. Back to his old tricks and just in time, as things have become very dark indeed in his old stomping grounds. A small-time ganglord has found himself dealing with big-time outbreak of supernatural weirdness. And without any allies to call on and nothing left to call his own, John doesn't have much choice about taking a paycheck from one of London's worst and accepting the help of one of the ganglord's would-be foot soldiers. But what should be an open-and-shut ex Turns out to be nothing but. And the author of this madness may just say getting started on that terrible masterpiece. I'm not going to go into the whole rest of it because it's just yada, yada, yada. Is hey. that your Henry Cavill impression? No. That was my John Constantine narrator impression. Oh, okay. The rest of this is just like, hey, John Constantine doesn't suck anymore. You should check it out. We really like that Sandman Presents One Shot. Yeah, and yeah. This was the same team. I am so excited to have John Constantine back in my life for some more British feel-bad magic comics. Should be pretty great. Joe Patrick, what is your pick for next week? Next week, I am looking forward to Batman Creature of the Night number four from DC. It's written by Kurt Busiek with art by John Paul Leon. Uh, Vandroid's John Paul Leon? No, that's uh, John uh, Different Dude. Who is that? That is uh, John Paul Leon's the guy that did Earth X. Right? That's Jean-Paul Leon. Who the fuck did Vandroid? I m mentioned it in the cha-cha. That's what I was... Oh, was it Hazel? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tommy Lee Edwards. Tommy Lee Edwards My is mistake. Vandroid. Yeah, Jean-Paul Leon was... Uh, yeah, yeah, different guy. Who we haven't seen for a while, by the way. Well, that's because this book has been delayed for a very long time. Maybe that's Jean-Paul's <laughs> fault. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's uh, an amount of pages, unspecified, for $5.99. It's extra size, though. It's thicker. At least 40. At least 48. It's at least 40 pages. Yeah, let's call it that. Uh, so this is the 
follow if you might you might forget you might have forgotten Batman Creature of the Night. Yeah, it is the kind of spiritual successor to Superman's Secret Identity. Okay, uh, which was basically like. There's a guy that happens to be named Clark Kent in Are the real world, that and this he gets book literally started like two or three years ago. Yeah, this has been delayed and delayed and delayed. And, and delayed. this is your pick. Yeah, because it's great. Okay, and this is the conclusion. All right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends. It only took you three years. I know. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Bruce Wainwright is not the man he believed himself to be. He never was. But when you've unleashed horror on the world, what can you do about it? He never not was. He never not was. <laughs> is Bruce human after all? Or he has, he become, <laughs> has he become more than a man? It's the unmissable finale of one of the best-reviewed miniseries of some year. If I don't know if it was this year. If you remember what was going on, it's unmissable. Sure to go down <laughs> as a modern Batman classic. I will need to reread the entire series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, this is kind of a, a in the same vein as Superman's secret identity, which is like, it's the real world. There right. are no, no, no superheroes. Uh, but here's a guy that's happened that's sort of uh, mirrors I just have no Superman memory or whatever. whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, no memory of this. This was a, a bit darker, obviously, because it's Batman, but uh, it's beautifully drawn. Uh, yeah, I want to see how it all ends. Okay, then. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Little Bird, Fight for Elders, Hope. It is written by Darcy Van Polgeest with art by Ian Bertram. It is 216 pages for $29.99. It's a bargain. That is a steal. Here's your solicit. With the limitless scope of Star Wars and East of West! Why is that in all caps? Because it's image. <laughs> Paired with the sociopolitical explorations of The Handmaid's Tale and Monstrous! Little Bird tells the story of young resistance fighters battling against an oppressive American empire while searching for her own identity in a world on fire. A gorgeously illustrated epic from award-winning filmmaker... Filmmaker? Mm, yeah. I don't know shit. What's the film she made? Uh, I don't know. I'll look it up while you keep reading. This collects Little Bird 1 through 5. We reviewed Little Bird number 1, and we very much liked it. We both gave it a buy it, I believe. Uh, I actually did not read it. It was one of your ludicrous speed reviews. Let's, oh, okay. I really liked it anyway. So she has made at least a film. We just don't know what it is. I know what they are, but I've never heard oh, of them. Oh, you've never heard of them. Okay. Um, mostly, it looks like short films. Oh, okay. Yeah. Regardless, really like Little Bird number one. You can get one through five, 30 bucks. It's a steal. Image is great at this stuff. Pick it up. And kids, these are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your LCS next week. We want to hear about your must-read picks and your favorite British curse words. Head to the THN forums. Bollocks! And let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you would like to hear us review on the show. And don't forget Shag! To pre-order <laughs> That's not really a cuss word. <laughs> don't forget to pre-order all your picks every week. My favorite is Tallywhacker. Snogging! <laughs> John Thomas. That's another one. <laughs> It doesn't even sound like a customer. Spotted dick! Mm. Mm. Come on. That's a bird. It's not a bird, it's a food. Spotted dick is a bird. It's a it's a food dish. It's a British food dish. Really? Is it made from a bird? I don't know. I'll bet it is. <laughs> I'm going to Google spotted dick on your computer. Go for it. Well, if you haven't seen it by now, then cut off your Jedi braid because you're a disgrace to Star Wars fans everywhere. <laughs> the Mandalorian made its small screen debut last week, so it's time for the first edition of Star Wars, a nerd TV. No, oh, come on. You do it. You like to do it. No, forget it. Whatever. Nerd TV. <laughs> that was fine. That was all right. Nah, I didn't do it well. The first thing I noticed about the Mandalorian when it came on is they had like a little new sort of TV Yeah, like the intro thing. to in the Marvel movies. Where it was like, yeah, oh, yeah. look, it's R2's head. Oh, it's, it's Darth Vader's head. Mm -hmm. It's a lightsaber. You know, and I was like, oh, neat. That's kind of fun. But then, no crawl. No. No. Nothing like that. Just Star That's Wars. uncanny. Yeah, I know. I'm really good at it. <laughs> Just Star Wars. And then, like, the music comes up. And it's not necessarily like orchestral music it was kind of electronic it's, it was like it's like spaghetti western kind of at first i didn't like it i at first oh i, was, I love the music see at first i was like well it's very not star wars it's yeah. very not not familiar to star wars. very not star wars yeah. but then as i got into the show 
And I mean, like we had read that they, John Favreau said, we're making a space Western. It's going to be a space Western. And it is. They went full on space Western. Yeah. So much so the music was like full on spaghetti Western. Yeah. It was almost like, wee, wee, wee. yeah, like any, you know, Morricone weirdness with like, I mean, there was still cinematic, you know, uh, orchestral stuff there, but it, there was definitely a lot of electronic weirdness going on there. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I totally love it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I, at first I was like, oh, they didn't do the fanfare and the, and the crawl, like you said, but it's not, it's not part of the saga. We also don't have time for that crap. This is TV. Oh shit. And the episodes are short. Yeah. Way shorter than I was expecting. Yeah. The first episode clocked in at 39 minutes. Yeah. The second episode was only 31. Right. Uh, and it's weird. That they're so short. I don't know. I mean, at the same time. They also get a lot done in that half hour. That's the thing. It's the nature of the storytelling that we're getting. I think this is a huge departure for Star Wars because it is basically the story of a character that goes in and kicks ass and leaves. It's action. This is a Western. Yeah. No doubt. So let's set up the story, though. Uh, This bounty hunter, uh, who is played by Pedro Pascal, uh, gets hired to um, kidnap a mysterious person or entity. Right. Uh, and all he knows is that the, the, the target is 50 years old and, uh, we only have some of the information you need to find him. And there's a lot of interesting things going on here. We're like, we know after return of the Jedi, the empire was screwed and scattered, but like there's stormtroopers here. There are like guys wearing yeah. imperial officer sure i mean there there are always soldiers left after they're the war that don't around. know the war is over yeah, but they're but whether or not they know the war is over i think they are still clinging to whatever power they yes, might have yes exactly right that. they even make like a comment where a guy tries to pay the mandalorian in imperial credits and he's like these are imperial credits and he's like, yeah, so what? And he's like, the uh, imper- the whole empire <laughs> just blew up. <laughs> <You Right. know? laughs> uh, yeah, so it's an interesting time in the Star Wars universe where we're seeing like a very tertiary place in between the rebellion and the empire mm-hmm. and sort of that story of everybody that's sort of caught up in the wake of it. Right. And this main character is definitely right there. I really like that they instantly reestablish that yes Mandalorians are a thing they are still around they're laying kind of low people don't know much about them but there's still a group of them there's still an order they're still doing things their way you know and so it's not just like Boba Fett was this one guy or Boba Fett is the cloned son of you know the kid the guy that was uh, every stormtrooper right? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um so I think I, I read something to the effect of that, like Jango Fett and Boba Fett are not actually Mandalorians. They are just guys that had Mandalorian armor. Well, we don't really know that. Is- Mandalorian is a culture. It's like a tribe almost of, of this this bounty hunter culture. Right, right. But yeah, well, I mean, obviously, other than the clone shit, we never learned anything about yeah. Boba Fett. So, so, I mean, I think they're kind of writing it as they not as they go, but they're rewriting it as we know it right now. Sure. And I'm fine with that. I'm oh, totally yeah, fine too. with that. And one of the complaints that I've heard from some people is like, oh, he's not badass enough. He's not like totally. I actually like the fact that he kind of got his ass kicked a little bit. Would you want to watch a show where he just shows up, kills this guy, kills that guy, leaves, kills this guy, kills that guy, leaves? And like, no, we need to see him being yeah. a person. He's fallible. He's not even taking his mask off. So you need to do something with him to make us care about the character. Yeah. We can't even see his friggin' face. Right. Exactly. Know? And like, he's not a god. He's not a Jedi. No. He's just a very highly trained. I would also say normal dude. Cool your jets, Boba Fett dork. Because if you really look at everything we know about Boba Fett based on the movies, not the shit that you made up in your spare time or the not extended something universe. you read in an extended universe or a comic book or played in a goddamn video game. We saw a guy walk around with a gun, had four lines, got his ass kicked twice and then died in the Sarlacc pit. And again, <laughs> oh, they crawled out and shut up. Okay, (laughs) if we're going with the evidence before us, we don't know shit about Boba Fett. We know that there was rumors that he was a total badass and there's rumors that Mandalorians are total badasses. But we learn very quickly in this show, people don't know much about Mandalorians. Right. 
Like there's a guy that's just talking to him and he's like, it's true. You never take off your mask. It's true. You guys, whatever. And blah, blah, blah. You know, like yeah. there is a story and a mythology there and they're building that mythology with this character. And so far, I mean, two episodes in, yes, they were a little shorter than I thought they would be, mm-hmm. but I also don't need these to be an hour long. Well, and also unlike a traditional network half hour show, they can do whatever they want. There are no commercials. Yeah. And uh, like actual network shows are only 21 minutes. Right. If you think about 29 that. seconds. Right. If it's a 30 minute show, it's only 21 minutes. If it's an hour long show, it's only 40 something, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. 43 or something right. like that. Yeah. Which I don't have a problem with the length as long as a story is being told. And so far, no spoilers here, but they've established a very compelling story at the end of the first episode. Yeah. Big and twist. Into the second episode. I think everybody that is predicting things on the internet right now is completely wrong. I think they are completely off base. Probably. And wrong. Yeah, probably. And I'll call my shot later. And if they are right, that's dumb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, people are saying a lot of different things. Right, right. Um, what I was impressed with, is, I mean, obviously Disney is throwing a ton of money at this project, right. but it's still pretty impressively done for what is essentially a TV show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, did it feel as cinematic as the Star Wars movies? No. Did it feel like it's more than a TV show? Absolutely. Right. And it's still got the traditional Star Wars... Um, uh, like cuts, there was a there was yeah. a wipe <laughs> in the second episode. I noticed absolutely, uh, and like and the designs of the ships and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's like, st- it's it perfect. fits right into that world. Like I was worried that we were going to get the Mandalorian. And I was like, it doesn't feel like Star Wars. Yes, it does feel like Star Wars. What very my, very much. And like one of my major complaints with some of the new Star Wars movies was you had too many aliens speaking English. And my favorite stuff about the old Star Wars movies is an alien walk up and go, and someone would be like, I don't think that's right. You know, like like they just understand each other. And it's awesome. And I loved the very first scene. We have like an alien speaking this bizarre language, another alien yelling at an alien in bizarre language, one guy that speaks bad English, you know, (laughs) that feels like Star Wars to me. Uh, the, The first episode of The Mandalorian had two actors from Omaha. Really? Yeah. Uh, the bartender was played by John Beasley. He's he's from here. He I lives here. I didn't even here. realize that was John Beasley. I don't Beasley. know if he lives here, but he's definitely from here. Um, and uh, the the it's he's like called an Ugnot or something is right. his race. Uh, the the moisture farmer that helps uh, the Mandalorian is played by Nick Nolte, who was born here. That was Nick Nolte. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like the first episode is like packed with yeah. Name actors. Brian Posehn. Brian Posehn is there. Uh, yeah. The fish guy uh, was Horatio Sands, which I didn't notice until I watched oh, the no second kidding. time. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. And um, he made a comment where he was like, well, I was hoping to see my family for life day. And I was like, <laughs> I was this close to turning it off. <laughs> like, fuck you. If we're going to start making these jokes. Uh, like, if What was Chewie's kid's name? Farty or whatever his name was? Uh, Stinky. Or Lumpy? Lumpy. <laughs> Stumpy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, this it, it's great. It, the Mandalorian is great. Better yeah. than I was hoping for. Way better than I was hoping for. And they're having fun with it. And I'm glad they didn't go full on badass. You know, like it, it, it's it was my same problem that I had with like the Taken movies. The Taken movies are yeah. not interesting because there is no point where Liam Neeson has any trouble with who he is fighting. Sure. And then it's like, okay, well, it's like watching a bulldozer drive through a Nerf castle every time. Yeah, and it's like it's like the opposite of something like John Wick. Right. John Wick is also a very competent, capable yes. fighter and killer, but he's also getting shot, we see him stabbed, take beaten up, ass beating, yeah. you know? Uh, and that's the key. It's like he can be super badass, but he's also not perfect. Well, I also think the key behind like the Mandalorians and their reputation is how they carry themselves. And it leads. It's an air of mystique. Yeah. It leads to the mythology behind them and whatnot. Right. But the reality of it is if he's trying to climb a giant Jawa vehicle, that's hard. It is a huge block tank. Yeah. You know, and these assholes are opening windows and throwing stuff at you. Right. Like, that's a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. Know? Uh yes. I really enjoyed it. Uh and I'm looking forward to it. The first season I believe is nine episodes. Yes. Uh and they are releasing them weekly. They did two the first week because one came out on D- Disney Plus launch day and then and then again on Friday. Uh and then they're doing one a week except for the week that The Last Skywalker comes out. They're right. skipping that week. So far, though, like this initial jump into Star Wars TV is just a home run. 
It's great. Totally agree. And at this point, give me all the Star Wars TV you got. I'll take all of it. Let, yeah, if let's it's go. gonna be this caliber, yeah. Give me the Absolutely. Star Wars channel. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big watch it for me. I was very impressed. Oh. That is it for TGN five fifty-two. And there's a solid chance that Joe and I eat each other while fasting before five fifty-three. Joey. While I rub some of this garlic butter on your back, I'm just trying to keep you moisturized. Um, Come on, just trying to keep you moisturized. Why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? You get ashy, you know? (laughs) (laughs) This week's question was submitted by Black Scorpion the Three via the THN forums. In honor of Titan Comics Pressing's ad with THN, I think it's time we finally talk about favorite ads in comics. We live in a world where ads are a nuisance, but the ads in comic books bring back a lot of fond memories. Whether it's the ads for comic books in comics, Robin will die, but you can prevent it. (laughs) Or ads for non-comic stuff like sea monkeys or Captain O and his promise of a telescope to top-selling children. (laughs) And of course, X-Ray Specs. I want to know what ads in comics you remember fondly. P.S.? We still need your question of the week suggestions. Always, always, yes, Keep please. them coming. If you're new to the show and you're thinking about putting on x-ray specs to rat out just how small our genitals actually are to embarrass us out of podcasting ever again, chances are you haven't heard enough. And by the way, we're comfortable with the size of our wieners. So the good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But by hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like our newest patron, our buddy... Michael McGaffin, that cheap skate, he's yeah. doing money our way. You bet he is. Unbelievable. What a guy. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Tom Spurgeon and Tom Lyle, who both passed away during this past week. Spurgeon was a seven time Eisner Award winning comics journalist known for his work with the Comics Journal and his own site, The Comics Reporter. Lyle was the artist and co-creator for a number of classic DC and Marvel characters like the Spoiler, the Will Payton Starman, and the Scarlet Spider. Both men were beloved figures in the comics industry, and they will be missed. Where are you, Toms? Yeah, Tom Spurgeon, man. That dude, like, he was the first comic book reporter that I remember, like, reading and feeling like I was reading legit comic journalism. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, comic journalism has... Yeah, let's just say it's gone a little downhill from me. <laughs> there's still good there's still good stuff out there, but it's you got you're not gonna find it it's on true. Newsarama. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just set you up with Yaddle on a special date to see what happens from there. This is the two-headed nerd signing off. 